0: Christmas is the sneeziest time of year, and I don't mean because people get colds and sneezes because of the weather. You don't get sick because of temperature anyway. I'm referring to photic sneezing. Sneezing is normally what your body does in responding to something that irritates your nose. That's why you sneeze when you're sick. Uh, Have you ever inhaled pepper or tried to inhale pepper through your nose? That can be fun, right? About 32% of people, interestingly enough, uh, sneeze because of light. And most of those are white females. Is that you? Who sneezes when they go in from dark into light? Real bright light. Anybody sneeze because of that? Two here, a couple there. I sneeze my head off. If I go from somewhere dark, every day in college, I walked out of the building into the sunlight from chapel, and I would start sneezing every single day, uh, unless it was cloudy. Uh, there's no exact science on why this happens, but most people think it's because light triggers the optic nerve. It creates a sensation which causes you to sneeze, and, and I have this problem. L- let me tell you, um, it really wasn't a problem until one morning about seven years ago I was, um, maybe maybe a little longer, I was getting braces. And because of that, I had to have four teeth pulled. And uh, it was early morning. Uh, it was actually pretty painless. Uh, I never realized how great laughing gas really is. Uh, I, I begged the dentist to let me take some home. It's just wonderful. It's not addictive either. It's just wonderful stuff. Um, but uh, I walked with my mouth padded with gauze. I walked from the dimly lit office outside into the sunlight. The sun just coming over the trees and sneezed the gauze out of my mouth and had to go back in. And I walk in and watch all the ladies smirking, which then made me wonder how often does this happen? About 32% of the time, actually, uh, I guess. uh, Hey, Sandra, come watch this rube as he goes to his car. That must have been the conversation they were having. And I bet they get a kick out of that. Well, Christmas is the easiest time of year, not because of that, but because it's the brightest time of year, not physically brighter, but spiritually brighter. You see, Christmas is like walking out of a dark cave into the blinding light of God's truth. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And this is where we are today. I read uh, yesterday that Americans in record numbers now are giving up on Christianity. It is dark, but how bright the light of God's truth. Let's consider first spiritual darkness is the natural state of unbelievers, and darkness describes The state of man without God. And you look here in verse 12, it says, After they were brought to Babylon. Now, why did they, why were they taken to Babylon? Well, if you go back through the story of the kings as it comes to this point, Josiah is the last good king. And he was exceptional. Uh, He turned to God, it says, with all of his heart. His soul and his might. Does that sound familiar? If you go back to Deuteronomy 6, that's what God said in the law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. And this was how how God describes Josiah. But his good rule did not turn away God's anger against Israel. Manasseh, who precedes him, was so wicked that God had already determined that he would destroy Judah. In fact, in 2 Kings 23-27, God says, I will remove Judah out of my sight and cast off this city, Jerusalem. And Josiah, he died in a battle against an Egyptian pharaoh named Nico. He was followed by a series of terrible kings. Jehoahaz is installed as king for three months. He's 23 years old. Let me tell you the refrain you start to read. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He's the brother of, uh, he's replaced by a, a young man named Eliakim, who's renamed Jehoiakim. He's the brother of Jehoahaz. Yeah, he's twenty-five years old. He reigns eleven years, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He reigned. Uh, he was later captured by Nebuchadnezzar and taken to Babylon. He's replaced by a young man named Jehoiakim. He's eighteen years old. He's the one we called Keniah. He's the one who's cursed by God. He rules three months and ten days. And it says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And can you imagine how evil you have to be for God to say you're evil and you've only been in power for three months and ten days? And then he's taken away by Nebuchadnezzar and Zedekiah, who's really not even a king any longer, just kind of a regent. He becomes a king by Nebuchadnezzar until he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar and Israel is destroyed. But but it's not just the kings. Let me describe how the situation, the moral situation in Israel. If you go back to 2 Chronicles 36, why don't you turn back there? 2 Chronicles 36. Look at verse 14. 2 Chronicles 36. This is the last chapter in Chronicles. And, and at the end of the book, This is, by the way, the last chapter in the Jewish Old Testament. They have the Tanakh. They have the Nevim, the the prophets. And then they have the Ketavim, the writings. It ends with the writings, the last writing, 2 Chronicles. You're reading through the Jewish Old Testament. This is the very last chapter. This is how the story ends for the Jews right here. In verse 14, it says the priests and the people transgressed according to the abominations of the heathen. Let me just stop and tell you what that includes. It's not just idolatry. Do you know what Josiah did? Josiah, it says, he destroyed the houses of the Sodomites. And by the way, for anyone who tells you that homosexuality is not the sin of Sodom, that, and it's just uh, uh, in, uh, a lack of hospitality. Why would Josiah destroy the homes of a bunch of inhospitable people? That's not it. These are evil, wicked people. And they're doing the abom- things that are abominable to God. And, and that's what's going on. The abominations of the heathen. Verse 14, they polluted the house of God. They actually polluted God's temple. Verse 16, they mocked and despised the messengers of God. Those would have been the prophets that he sent. So here's the people. They break God's covenant. They're living in gross sin. And God, in his compassion, it says, in his mercy, he's not that angry ogre God that some people think in the Old Testament. He's actually a loving God. He sends messenger after messenger after messenger. Do you remember the parable where Jesus talks about this? The farmers who steal the farm from the landlord who's gone off away and he sends back people to come back and say, listen, it's my farm. Pay me what you owe. And they won't do it. And finally he says, I'll send my son. And then they murder the son. This is what he's talking about here before the son even arrives. They sent messenger after messenger and they mock and despise the messengers of God. Verse 16 ends with they abuse the messengers of God. That's they murder them. And then verse 21, they violate the Sabbath restrictions on the land. And while that may not seem a whole lot to us, because we don't live under Sabbath law, it's a whole lot to God. And so if you realize what's going on here, it's not just the kings that are wicked in Israel, it's everybody. And, I, and I'm painting with a broad brush because there were godly people among them. Spiritual darkness is estrangement from God. And if you continue reading now, it says they were taken to Babylon. You have Jeconias. He's taken off. That's Kaniah. He's captured, taken off by, by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. And while he's there, he begets, he fathers Shealtiel. And Shealtiel fathers Zerubbabel. The result of their, ex, of their sin was exile in Babylon. You continue reading in 2 Chronicles 36. And you find in verse 17, the king of Babylon comes in because of his anger against Israel over how how they rebelled against him and that he kills the men, both the old and the young. It says those who stooped. He has no mercy. He kills the old and the young. He kills the young women. He takes whoever is left that his armies haven't killed and he takes them all into slavery. They will serve in his household He steals the vessels from the temple, verse 18. He burns the temple. He tears down the walls of Jerusalem. And in verse 19, he burns down all of their homes. Now, I just want you to stop for a minute and imagine what this would look like in our modern setting. This is another nation coming into, let's just say, Raleigh. There's only a few of you who live in Raleigh, so we'll make it Raleigh. (laughs) And, and, and this king comes into Raleigh and he, and he takes all of those giant buildings that are in Raleigh and he just levels them. They think 9-11, but a lot worse. A lot worse. Because it's not just two towers. It's all the buildings. He just levels them. And then after he levels them, he kills all the older men and he murders all the younger men. And then he murders a whole bunch of the younger women whether they're with child or not, doesn't matter. And then he takes whoever is left and he enslaves them, leaving only the poorest of people, the homeless. He leaves the homeless there, but they have no homes to live in because he then destroys all the homes in Raleigh. That is complete and utter, what the word is, desolation. He just destroys them. And the fascinating part of this, this to me, this is the most fascinating. Do you know why, one of the reasons why Nebuchadnezzar is so angry against Israel? Because he made their king swear by God that he would not rebel against him. And the fascinating part is, if Nebuchadnezzar indeed turns to God and becomes a believer, if that actually happened, it's possible the only believer in that transaction was Nebuchadnezzar. Because the king of Israel was not a godly man, was not saved. So when you're looking at this text then, what you see here is that, is that this story, you have all these people are taken away in exile. Whoever is left is just there. And now in exile, they just live, dethroned. And, the, and Kaniah is father to Shieliel, who's born in captivity, he fathers and I think probably through lever marriage. He fathers Zerubbabel, Shiiel. And what you have here is the reality that if you are without God, if you are not saved by faith in Jesus, by trusting in his death and burial and resurrection, then you are in spiritual darkness and your life is under the wrath of God. That's where you're at. You are right now under his wrath. And that's really bad news. And here's what happens for people who are in that situation they just kind of sit and go, it's okay. Every day's the same, it doesn't change. I saw this really good picture. Uh, somebody put on the internet of a man off to the side of the road. He had a sign up that said, get out of the road, something like that. He was screaming at a man in the road, get out of the road. And there's a man in the road who has his fist up, something like this saying, you don't judge me. And, And off in the distance is this giant truck driving down the road that said the judgment and wrath of God. And here we are telling the world, you're under the wrath of God. And you sit there and go, it's fine. It didn't happen today. I didn't get, I wasn't punished today. God's wrath didn't come down on me today. All things are as they have been from the beginning. It's not going to change. Nothing's different. Well, tell that to people like Curse the alley today. Where is she? Where is she? She didn't believe in Jesus. Didn't believe in God by all accounts. I mean, there's no evidence at all that she trusted in Jesus. Where would she be today? In a place of reality. So think about that. That's the bad news. And into that darkness comes the light. If you keep reading, you find that Jesus is the light of the world. Because God has compassion on sin-broken people. It says Zerubbabel, and he begins all the begats here, right? All the way down to Jacob, Jacob begat Joseph, verse 16, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. The, The line of David, the line of Jesus shrinks to nearly nothing. And really, I think if it was not for Jesus, most of these people would be to us nameless. We wouldn't know who they are. We wouldn't care. They're no longer kings. None of these people are kings. Sadoc wasn't a king. Achim wasn't a king. Elihud wasn't a king. Mathan wasn't a king. Heliezer wasn't a king. Joseph and Jacob were not kings. Mary wasn't a queen. But it doesn't mean they're worthless. The forgotten to man are often remembered by God. He lists them here because they're important to him. And into this darkness. This is just dark now. The whole line of David is dark. dark. It it looks like a a lamp that's been snuffed out to the very quick. There's almost nothing left to the wax. There's just a little tiny little piece of the wick left. Uh, Maybe a little ember left to burn. There's almost nothing there. And then you come to Jesus. God sends Jesus now to be the Savior. Joseph, he's that earthly stepfather, as it were, of Jesus. He is the husband of Mary. She bore Jesus. It, it, he is of the Holy Spirit's worth in her, but it's her DNA, if you want to think about it that way. And Jesus is the Savior of the world. I mean, that's his name. Do you notice his name is not Joseph Jr.? It's not Jacob II. It's not Zerubbabel Ninth. It's Jesus. Why? Because the name is, well, it's from the Old Testament, Joshua. The the Hebrew would be Yeshua. Jehovah saves. He will save his people from their sins. This is the name the angels gave to him. And Jesus is the one who brings light into the world. Jesus brings God's light down to a dark and dismal earth. Because the Jesus is the one who was called Christ. Now we have that title, that messianic title from the Hebrew Mishiach, meaning anointed one. The idea is he is set apart above all the others. It's the idea of being set up as a ruler. I I don't think it's his priesthood here that's in idea. I think it's his kingship that's in idea. You have here, remember Samuel, he, what did he do with Saul, right? He took an anointed Saul to be king over Israel. And what did he do with David? David was just that little boy. He was, oh, I don't know what, ninth in line uh, among the sons of Jesse. And, and Samuel shows up at the house and, and looks at the oldest and goes, man, this guy's awesome. Eliatub or whatever that guy's name was. Uh, uh, some of you probably know. He goes, this guy's great. No, not him. Oh, no, well, look at him. He He's awesome. I mean, he gets down to like number six. It's Hulk Hogan, you know. It's Andre the Giant. He's huge. no, 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 no. No, Samuel, you look on the outward appearance. God's looking on the heart. He's looking for someone who has a heart like his. A man after God's own heart. And so he's... Samuel says, is there anybody left in your family? And they go, well, we got this last one, the runt, the ruddy-cheeked little red-headed boy. He's out in the fields taking care of the lambs. Well, go get him. I'm not even going to sit down until he arrives. So they have to run out to the fields and find David, you know, whistle. David, come on, they're looking for you. And he pulls, he pulls into the house, you know, sweating, smelling of the field. The dirt and the manure and all the smells you'd have as a farmer. And Samuel looks at him and God says, that's the one I want. And he anoints him king. He anoints him. This is what it means to be chosen by God. In fact, the New, the New Testament term Christos has the same idea of consecration. It, it's interesting. The Greek spelling is Creo. It, it, the early church sometimes just used the first letter. That's key. It's a Greek letter. It looks like our X. In fact, um, in the Middle Ages, Christians started calling Christmas key mess. Uh, people who didn't learn Greek thought it was Xmas, and oh, they're Xing Jesus out of Christmas. No, 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 that's not what it means. It, it, it was just the key was the early letter. It, it's what the early church used for Christ. They would talk about Jesus. They would just put the letter key, and everybody would know that's Jesus. He's the Christ. And this is what we're talking about here. G- G- Jesus is Christ. He's the anointed successor to David. The lineage is from Abraham to David to Jesus, which then brings us to the importance of God's covenant with David. In 2 Samuel 7, you are to be ruler of Israel and out of you will come he who's to be ruler of Israel and his kingdom, there'll be no end. His line will be everlasting. His throne will last forever. And it's not a reference specifically to Solomon, though Solomon was the king that came after David. It's a reference to Jesus. The government, Isaiah writes, will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace and of his kingdom and of his government. There'll be no end. And when Jesus comes, he came as Messiah, but he died as Messiah. He rose again as Messiah and then he comes as King. As truly Messiah. Messiah. As Christ, he comes now as king. This is what we sing about when we sing joy to the world. We'll sing it next Sunday, I'm sure. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Her king. This is the promised seed of David. This is the eternal promise of an eternal throne. Jesus is the light of all the world. And so when Jesus was in the temple compound and he's standing before one of the giant menorahs, the lamps that lit up uh, Jerusalem, is, and he's standing in front of it, he called out to anybody who will listen, I am the light of the world. Come to me out of darkness. And Jesus is still calling people who are living in darkness to come to him and he will give them his light spiritual light. Have you ever seen somebody get saved? They come sneezing to the light. They come with real rejoicing in their heart. And they'll say later, it's it's the most incredible feeling to have all your sins forgiven, the weight off of your shoulders, the knowledge that you're one of his, and probably some sort of psychosomatic response to the indwelling Holy Spirit. Not tongues of fire over your head, but a knowledge that he dwells with you. And what a beautiful truth. And the line of the kings and later those who should have been king demonstrates that man ruins everything he touches, but God solves the problem in Jesus because he's the light of the world. And so we sing. This this Latin hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou rod of Jesse, and free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close Close the path to misery. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice. Rejoice. Gaudé, gode That's the Latin. Gaudé. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, has come to thee, O Israel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use a very simple message.